This has been 14 weeks of Sermon on the Mount. We don't generally do uh, sermon series is that long. Generally, we work through sections of Scripture because we believe that uh, we should work through sections of Scripture and not bring our own pet stuff to the, um, to the sermons. And so we chose this because it would be long enough to get us through a time when I was going to be doing heart surgery. But now I'm eight weeks post-heart surgery and feeling really good. And... Uh, Yeah, it's, it's weird whenever people clap for you. It's just, I feel like, uh, yeah, like I should have be on TV or something. This is very bizarre. Um, but yeah, no, I'm excited that uh, I'm feeling better. And uh, so I promise you won't be doing 14 weeks sermon series very often. But it was really good for us to go through and digest this entire section all in one. Uh, and it was really fun to listen to other people, their perspective on what it was. And so I had a really good time, again, kind of starting off and finishing off this series. And today is our last uh, sermon for Sermon on the Mount. And, and today I'm, I'm really just focusing in on two verses, really just two verses. I'm going to use a lot more scripture, but I'm just really the last two verses in chapter 7, the very, very end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. And it really focuses in on people's reaction to what Jesus was saying. And I feel like we have to go back to the beginning and we have to remember that what Jesus is teaching here. Uh, and this is, I think, a problem that we have often as Christians. He's teaching something radical. It is not a tweak. A lot of us think, like, if I could just get a little bit better at this or a little bit better at that or just, you know, change this part of my lifestyle or just get a little bit... No, Jesus is asking for something very, very radical. And he is teaching something that hasn't been taught before. That is not something that's common. For us, it's weird because this all is common teaching. The reason that many of us followed Jesus was because of probably some of this teaching. right? We do love the concepts here. And I think it was, uh, it blew the people's minds that heard it the first time. But even now, we can kind of get into this like thing where we take this teaching for granted. Or we minimize what Jesus is actually saying. And, and we kind of make it not quite as radical as it would have been in that day. Um, and so the last two verses here just focus in on the crowd's response to Jesus' teaching, and we need to focus in on what our response is to Jesus' teaching. So here's Matthew 7, uh, 28 and 29. Um, this is the last two verses in the chapter here, the last two verses uh, of this Sermon on the Mount. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, and when he had finished teaching this entire sermon, which, by the way, probably, I mean, if it was word for word, it was, it's not that long. Probably wasn't the craziest length of time. It was probably something digestible for most people. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There's, there's like so much to unpack in just two verses, right? It basically says, and I don't think our... English language really does us justice here, where it says, the people were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. And in one translation, uh, it says, the people uh, ended his teaching with thunderous applause. Like, this word doesn't translate very well, but it would have been basically somebody who was absolutely mind-blown, right? If we're going to take it into 2023, it's the emoji of the mind just being exploded out of the head, right? Nope, just me, okay. Uh, 
people were blown away. In fact, if you took this verb here and you used it in other contexts that we see in, in the New Testament, it also is the same word that gets used for like running someone out of town when they do something so offensive that it blows everybody away. Like there is a passionate response, whether it's good or bad, to whatever was just said or whatever was just communicated or whatever has just happened. That there isn't really room for somebody to be like, meh. Right? Jesus teaches this stuff and there's no meh. It's all passion, right? People are losing their mind over what Jesus has just taught because it is revolutionary. It's something completely different than they've ever heard. It makes way more sense. It speaks to their heart. The Holy Spirit is probably moving in that moment for people to hear what Jesus is saying and saying, yes, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. That's what it looks like. Because they were under this religious system that was just more religion and more religion and more religion. Do more good things, jump through more hoops, Try to please God, follow all the rules, more rules and more rules and more rules. And then how do we know if we're following the rules right? Well, someone has to interpret the rule and then use the rule and then do the rule. Their system of law was actually very much like law. Like they were using previous things that people had said or interpreted or ways of understanding the law to interpret how to follow the law. It was a lot like precedent that we see in a courtroom where you'll go into a courtroom and they'll, I don't know anything about courtrooms, by the way, so I do have jury duty next week, so we'll see. Maybe I'll learn something. Um, but you go in and they would, they would explain the case law by going back to a case where something else had happened. This is how they were teaching law at the time. When it says that Jesus taught not as one of their own Pharisees or scribes or teachers of the law, what they're saying is he didn't focus on former interpretation or former laws that had been created, right? He brought something brand new to the party. The way they were teaching was to say, okay, well, if we're trying to understand how this passage works, we've got to go back and look at what this person said and what this person said, and we've got to understand it like this, and here's how the Jews did it at this time during their history, and here's how they did it at this time in their history. And, and it was very technical. It was very dry. There wasn't a lot of illustration. There definitely was no stories. And so you basically had people kind of going through the motions trying to do the thing right, and they had people telling them technically, here's how you do it exactly right. And so you go into a church service, and it'd be very formatted, and you had to do this, then do that, then do this, then do that, and then you go home, and now you're absolved of whatever it is, right? Kind of sounds a little bit like some of the stuff that's available today, right? Some of us have gone through some of those traditions, and we've been through that sort of structure of like, here's this and that, and this and that, and do this right, and do it like this, and say this prayer, and do this thing, and you're up, and you're down, and you're doing this thing, now go forward. And that was all you had to do to make God happy. And Jesus comes along and he says, none of that stuff is like the things that are important to me. My teaching, completely different and brand new. Right? And the people were just mind blown. You're just blown away by Jesus' teaching. And so Jesus, and you can, you can hear it when he starts to teach, right? You think about it, if you're a scribe or a Pharisee or someone teaching the law at that time, you're teaching on precedent, on things that have already been said by other people, and you're building on that, and you're making it more technical, and you're giving more rules, and you're explaining it more. And when Jesus came along, he would say things like, you've heard it said. In other words, it has been interpreted like this, but let me explain to you the real way to interpret this. Let me help you understand the real way that we should be focused here, the real thing that's important here, the real thing that God wants to see from his people here. The real way to interpret this is like this. And he would say, you've heard it said, but I say. Right? Jesus isn't 
he's not interpreting the law with precedent and with things that have already happened. He's interpreting it on his own authority. Let that sink in for a second. It's his authority. He's teaching from authority that only he has. It's not based on what other teachers have said. It's not based on what the precedent is. It's not based on the religious system. It's based on his interpretation of how to do the things that God is calling his people to do. So he would say things like, you have heard it said this. This is kind of how people are interpreting this. But that's nonsense. Here's how I interpret it. Here's how it should be interpreted. Here's the right way to interpret it, right? Even when he was telling the story that we talked about last week with the man who built his house on the, on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand, he says, uh, a wise man hears these words. What? A wise man hears these words. What, what comes after that? He says, a wise man hears these words of mine. You know, again, it gets lost in the English translation, but the actual of mine stands out in the original language where he's basically saying, my words, mine, my words, the words that come from me are the ones you need to pay attention to. To understand this, let me interpret this, let me show you what it looks like. When he says, I'm going to fulfill the law, what he's saying is I'm going to show you how to live the law out perfectly, not how to exactly follow the hand-washing rituals and eating the right foods on the right days and making sure that the Sabbath is like technically perfect. You know, he's like, I'm going to explain to you how to understand all this and live it and live the, like, the way that I would live. And he teaches as someone who has or teaches from his own authority. People were blown away. We haven't heard anyone teach us like this. We haven't heard anyone give illustrations. We haven't heard anyone explain things in ways that we can understand it. We haven't heard anyone get down on our level and have compassion for the people that they're teaching. Right? All the teachers of the law were all up here. And they were all looking down on the people. And you could feel that, right? As you were a regular person, you could feel that sort of looking down on you kind of feeling. And Jesus gets down on the people's level and he says, let me explain it in ways that you can understand it. Let me give you illustrations that come from things that you do. Let me talk about things in farming terms and in ocean terms and in fishing terms. And I'm going to use all of these illustrations that you understand. I'm going to make sure that when you leave, you get it. And still people had a hard time always understanding exactly what Jesus was saying. They would come back to him and say, hey, can you explain that again? And he would give them even more to help them understand what he was teaching. But that's what happens here at the end. And their minds are blown and their response is passionate, right? It's thunderous applause. It doesn't say that's what they did, but that's the feeling of passion that was there for Jesus' teaching. It was a standing ovation. It was people losing their minds over what Jesus was teaching. It was converts and disciples from the first moment he started to speak. And we miss that because we take for granted some of these teachings, which we've heard since we were kids. We've heard them long enough to become inoculated to the idea that this is a crazy different way of thinking and something that should be absolutely life-changing and should create, elicit a passionate response within us. Okay, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. And Jesus is speaking from authority, from his authority. And so I want to just kind of just jump into the next chapter here because the writer of Matthew here, Matthew is going to explain Jesus out of this incredible authority and then show us the kind of authority that Jesus has. So if you have a Bible or you're, you're on your device, I'm actually going to skip through sec- chapter 8. You may want to follow along as I go from verse passage to passage. Um, 
But here's what it says, verse, verse 1. And this is Jesus uh, showing the world that he has authority over sickness. Take a look, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, just the next verse. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, right? So it's a sermon on the mountain. He comes down the mountain. Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus comes down from the mountain and shows everybody that he has authority over sickness, that he can restore the body from any disease, that he can take an unclean person and make them clean immediately. This is like a foreshadowing of what he's going to do with sin in our lives. He's going to take somebody who's unclean and make them clean. He's going to heal something that seems unhealable. He's going to restore to this person something that seems unrestorable. Right? And I love the, the way that this is written. The way that this, this leper comes in and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I feel like a lot of times what we're saying is, um, if you are able to make me clean, right? we start with this idea that we're not sure Jesus can do it. This leper knew for sure Jesus could do it. The question was, was he going to do it? I think a lot of times what we're missing is the faith in the first part of the statement Hey, God, I know for a fact that you can do this. I'm asking if you're willing to step into this and to heal me. It's no, there's no question for me whether you're capable, whether you have authority over sickness. The question is if you will enter into this moment. And look, I don't know why you know, God doesn't always heal everything all the time. I mean, it's, in, it's an impossible statement to kind of wade through and explain perfectly but there's an amount of faith to understand that God is capable of doing anything and that he does sometimes do that and he doesn't sometimes do that. And we're called to live in the tension of what that means. But to know that he's capable, that he has authority over sickness, he's showing them that he has authority over sickness, that he has authority over the worst sickness, that he has authority over the thing that seems unrestorable and unhealable, that for him it's just a word. It's just one word that changes the outlook. You know, and I know that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and continue to pray even when their prayers don't seem like they're being answered. So it's not the kind of thing where we're always going to see exactly what we want when we have the right amount of faith. But there's a formula, I have the right amount of faith, so now you're going to heal me. No, Jesus continues to ask us to pray and to pray expectantly and to know that he's capable. So we say, if you are willing, I know that I can become clean. That's the same response that he wants from us. Keep going down to uh, verse 5. Here is Jesus' omnipotence. Okay, verse 5. When Jesus had uh, entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, 
let it be done as you have believed that it would be. And the servant was healed at that moment. Jesus shows that he is omnipotent. That he's able to heal from a distance. He does remote healing in this moment. Right? This centurion has the faith that a Jewish person, Jewish, wow, here we go. Jewish person should have, right? He has faith in Jesus that he can do it even without being present, even without laying his own hands on this person. And it's an amazing amount of faith. And Jesus makes it really clear. He starts to show, hey, I'm going to let Gentiles into this thing too. People who aren't Jewish, they're going to be welcome into this. And I really hope that you have the faith that you know, a person should have when they hear these teachings of mine and when they hear what's going on here. So he shows that he has uh, authority over, or he has an omnipotent authority. Skip down to verse 23. This is still in chapter 8, right? This is Jesus now showing he has authority over nature. Then he got into the boat, and this is them basically walking around this huge lake and teaching in all the areas of the, of that are around this lake, and then they get into their boat, and it says, the disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. Now, these lakes, honestly, like they're, <coughs> these squalls were kind of normal. It's kind of part of everyday life. People were always afraid and always careful about how they were you know, using the lake and always worried that they might be out in the middle of this lake and kind of be in a situation like this. So this was a common occurrence for most of these guys were fishermen that were in the boat with them, right? So they were used to being in this situation and they knew what to do and kind of how to deal with this. So it says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. I don't know how, Jesus was a deep sleeper. We were just, ta- we were just talking about this. Um, you know, if I could get off the track again, I got a kid at home who's sick uh, today. Started with a fever and then turned into a, you know, a projectile vomit situation, which was wonderful. Any parent here knows that's the best thing ever. Um, and we were just talking about that this morning, about stories about, you know, when we had those moments. I don't, I don't want to get too much into it. I don't want anyone to get sick while I'm talking about it. But I was the kid who would projectile vomit all over himself at nighttime and sleep through it. My mom still makes fun of me. Like, one of the nicknames that she gave me at that time was Barfomatic. Yes, and she, I, I guess at the time, uh, the gremlins were like a big, big thing, and she said, you were like a gremlin. If we gave you like spaghetti too late or anything with cheese in it or anything that would set you off, you were going to throw up that night. Like, if you eat after eight and it was any of these things, forget it. It was over, right? How is Jesus sleeping through the storm? he's not worried about it at all. Kind of feels like the way that you might handle something if you knew you were totally in control. Kind of feels like if he knew that he were to wake up and be in a storm, that he could just wave his hand and and make it happen, right? So, So he does, right? The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. What a moment, man. People are like, I don't know about Jesus' authority. And then he showed them his authority by commanding the wind and the waves and the storm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. This statement is said about Jesus in multiple contexts within the Gospels, where people say, what kind of person is this, that this sort of thing is true about him? That he's able to command the wind and the waves. And so 
He has authority over nature. He has authority over sickness. He has omnipotent authority. Authority over nature. Go down to verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs and met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want us to do, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Which is, which is interesting, because they're, they're torturing the person that they are inhabiting. And they're saying, oh, Jesus, are you here to torture us? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. By the way, that's all a demon can do with Jesus is beg. If you drive us out, send us to the herd of pigs, they requested. He said to them, go. With one word, he shows his authority over the spiritual realm, over demons, over demonic presence, over things that should be very powerful and should be very scary to most people. With one word, these begging entities get tossed into this herd of pigs. Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, reported all this, including what had happened, to the demon-possessed men. He shows his authority over the spiritual realm. And now it starts to get serious. Chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. This is always one of those things that I just, I can't, I, I love. If you're like somebody who brought the man on the mat to Jesus, got him in front of Jesus, figured out how to get around the crowds. You know, one other uh, explanation of this story, they like break a hole in the roof and drop him in front of Jesus, right? It looks like the same person in both of those stories. They go out of their way to get him in front of Jesus. And then instead of Jesus saying, hey, why don't you go ahead and get up and walk out? He says, your sins are forgiven. What? Your sins are forgiven. Not exactly what they were looking for when they brought him in front of Jesus. They were hoping that he would be healed. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. They're saying what is correct about every other person who's ever existed except for Jesus, that he should not be forgiving anyone's sin. Yet he has authority even over sin. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What does he have? Authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And at this, the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to a man. So Jesus shows his authority over sin. Not just authority over sin. Look at this. Chapter 9, verse 18. Authority over death. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. And there's a huge crowd around Jesus. He's moving through town. And a woman who's been sick with uh, a bleeding has... Her like whole life comes up to him, touches his cloak, and she's immediately healed because of her faith. And Jesus stops in the middle of this crowd and, and speaks with her and, and gives dignity to her and, again, makes an unclean person clean and heals this woman and then says, hey, your faith has made you well. And in the middle of all this, right, there's, there's still this little girl that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be healed. 
And it says, he, Jesus keeps making his way to, this, uh, to the house where this little girl is. In verse 23, it says, When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd, people playing pipes, he said, Go away, this girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, he took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout the region. He shows that he is, has authority over death. Jesus goes from teaching with incredible authority to showing everyone what the authority is. That he has authority over sin, over death, over sickness, over all these things, that it's omnipotent authority, that he speaks with and teaches with authority, and that he has in real life the same authority. People were blown away. Right? That's the thing about this teaching is that we take it for granted and we think like these are concepts that we're familiar with, that we've heard our whole lives. We miss the idea that this is a brand new teaching Jesus brings into, uh, into the, the, the scenario here and it is, comes with a different kind of authority. Authority over sin, authority over death, authority over sickness, over nature and its omnipotent authority. Right? Matthew wants to make sure that you understand this wasn't just talk, that this was real. This was really happening in front of everyone. And it puts us in a weird spot because I kind of feel like sometimes we take it for granted or we've heard this before and we don't let it kind of hit us in a way that brings about this passion. But the response to this should be passionate and it should be a decision to submit to the authority of Jesus, not to be the kind of people that live by the authority of religious precedent, but that live through the authority of Christ in our lives. That the only way to do the things that He's called us to do, to love our enemies and to not judge people, and to, you know, all this stuff is to do it through the authority of Jesus. And here's the amazing part of this is that Jesus offers us His authority, right? couple verses later from chapter 9, the very, very beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. This is what Jesus does. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them what? Authority. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them authority to do the things that he was doing. He gave them authority that only he has. Verse 5, the 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, hey, I want you guys to understand that if you submit to my authority and my teaching, you are called into the mission of reaching other people through my authority. That's, that's where this goes. That's where this teaching goes. This is what it looks like to live like a Christian. The only way that you can do this is through Christ and his authority. And then he calls you to put this into practice and to reach the world on his behalf. Kingdom building is what we do when we respond to the teaching that Jesus has laid out and it's hard. It causes us to have to put ourselves out there. It's not easy to put yourself out there. It's not easy to take on the position of being a Christian in this world. It's a lot easier to not say much about your beliefs, 
and to kind of leave it out of the conversation with people and to not go there with people, to not declare the kingdom is near, to not say anything about what it is that you believe, and to just believe your thing and let them believe their thing and leave them alone and do your thing. That's a lot easier. That's not what he calls his disciples to do. He says, look, I have all the authority and I give it to you, right? The Great Commission is a perfect example. Matthew 28. It's not in your thing. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now go and make disciples. Teach people everything that I have commanded you. Teach them all. The whole Sermon on the Mount. Show them what it looks like. Live it with them. Baptize them and make disciples. That's what we're called to do as believers, and we can't miss it. The Sermon on the Mount is not about becoming 10% better or tweaking our lifestyle or making sure that we don't, you know, say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or, you know, that we don't get ourselves into... It's not about becoming a little bit better. It's about transforming your life completely and submitting to the authority of Jesus and letting him change you from the inside out so that you can help other people find the kingdom of heaven. It's the same mission that we have now that they had then. Jesus shows them, he talks about authority, he shows them his authority, and then he calls them to go put that authority into practice and to create his kingdom. It's still what we're called to do today. Listen, that's the encouragement from all this. Yeah, if you become 10% better, great. We're really not keeping track of that. We're an imperfect church for imperfect people. You still got a long way to go. (laughs) Come 10% better, great. You got a long way to go. But if you start to actually put into practice this and make a difference in the lives of people, that creates a kingdom impact. That creates an eternal impact to reach people for Jesus, to teach him his ways. That is what we're called to, to do. Enough on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, This next week we're going to start in a new series and I'm actually going to go back into Genesis and we're going to look at some of the the beginnings of certain things that come out of Genesis and we're going to spend a couple weeks here in the summertime kind of going through some of those original concepts and I think it's going to be really great. It's going to be a little bit more philosophical, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more better for outside church. Uh, But yeah, the question is, are you putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. Let me, let me pray to close this up here. Jesus, thank you that you call us to action. Thank you that you have authority over everything, over all eternal things, over spiritual things, over our lives, over sin, over death. And that you lend that authority to us as believers, as followers, as disciples. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us take that so seriously that we would live this out in front of the world that needs to see it lived out, but that also we would share this with people who need to know that your kingdom is here. Jesus, I pray that we would create this counterculture of living your way everywhere we go, not in an obnoxious way or a combative way, but in a loving, compassionate way, the way that you did. That we would welcome in the imperfect that we would share the kingdom with people who don't feel like they deserve it, and that we would make room, God, for the people that you love, the people that you have called. So help us to be those, those disciples that don't just listen and forget, but that listen, that take it to heart, and that put it into practice. 
In Jesus' name, amen.